Thanks for tuning in to High Point Assembly's podcast, where you're going to hear a life-giving message that we hope will encourage you no matter where you are in your walk with Christ. Check out our website at highpointassembly.org for more podcasts, information, and how to join us live in person or online every Sunday. We hope this message blesses you wherever you may be listening from. And remember, no matter where you're at, you belong. For this morning, my message's title is real simple. It's just called Real Faith. We're going to talk about real faith, what real faith is and what real faith does and where we should be applying it in our life so that we continue to grow for Christ and be a blessing to this world. And so it's as simple as that, real faith. The Bible says in Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 10, I really want you to listen. It's a very important scripture for, for our walk with Christ. It says, Peter says, be diligent to make sure your call and election are, tr- are sure. Be diligent to make sure that your calling and election are, true, are, are, are sure. Peter is speaking to believers. He's basically saying that at no time in our walk with Christ can we become smug. That smug is never of the Lord. Humility is of the Lord. Checking in with ourselves regularly is of the Lord and where our faith is at. Smug is either of the flesh or the enemy. If the devil can't keep us away from Jesus, then he'll try to make us very smug in our relationship with Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says very clearly, none of us have yet resisted to the point of shedding our blood. If you are here this morning, and until that day comes that Jesus takes you home, scripture after scripture, God is trying to tell us Don't become too comfortable in your faith. Let yourself um, continue to look under the hood and see where you're actually at in your relationship with me. John Henry Newman, in a famous sermon, spoke of people like this. He said, they go on just as the heathen did of old. They eat, they drink, they amuse themselves in vanities, live in the world without fear, without any sorrow, as if God had not said that their conduct in this life would determine the destiny in the next. A good way to think about this, which I already alluded to, is to think of yourself or our faith like a car, that we should regularly be looking under the hood and learning not to assume anything. Don't go under there going, I know I'm good, everything's great, don't do that. Because you never know what you're gonna find. You need to let the master technician tell you how you're doing under the hood, amen? Now, some people might be thinking, Pastor Chris, aren't you being kind of hard on us right out the gate this morning? (laughs) But I promise you I'm not. I'm simply sobering us up because in the culture in which we live right now, there is no more fear of the Lord. And we believe that the fear of the Lord is good for us. It protects us from sin. And if you're a faithful follower of Christ, you know in this weird way that the fear of the Lord actually also has a sweetness to it. It feels like Father God loves me and cares for me which is why he protects me from those things that are not good for me. There's a real love and sweetness to the fear of the Lord, and we should never, ever underestimate that fear in our lives. And especially if that fear is gone, you, my friend, would be what we would call red flag. We should always have a reverence for the Lord and his lordship in our lives. I remember when I first came to faith a long time ago, about 15, how old am I? I'm not gonna tell you. A long time ago. And... I remember what faith felt like. I was an atheist before I came to Christ. I had no faith. I liked turning people away from the faith. Um, uh, For me, it was fun. 
And it wasn't until I moved next door to a Christian family and they drove me crazy because no matter how much I would taunt them, make fun of them, ask silly, you know, snarky questions, they would just keep on loving me. Even sometimes I'd cuss in front of their kids and I would be like, that's it, I know, game over, just to cuss in front of the kids. And the mother would be upset at first, but then she'd come back to me and go, you know, Chris, I know that's not who Jesus really made you to be. I forgive you. you, would you like to come over for dinner? I'm not kidding, that's what she would do to me. And I'm like, what is this? This is like nothing I've ever seen and it's definitely not something I could fabricate in myself. I could not mimic what these people were doing as, as much as I tried. And for me, that was my first evidence of seeing faith that was truly different than anything I'd ever experienced in my own heart or even thought was really possible. One day I was coming out of my, my uh, uh, house just listening to some music and the mom, Beth, was out in her yard. She came over because the music I was listening to, she didn't like very much and she was kind of a mother figure at that point in my life. And she came over and she said, Chris, you shouldn't be listening to music like that. And I was like, why? Jesus didn't die on the cross so you could listen to music like that. That's what she said to me. I'm like, what does Jesus care? And she just started talking. We already had an established relationship at this point. I kid you not, while she's talking, unbeknownst to her, I completely tuned out and I had a vision in my heart of Jesus on the cross. And I felt this invitation, this is this dark kind of picture, gloomy clouds, but Jesus is on the cross and he wasn't speaking, but it was like through the image I felt God inviting me to lay down my life and just give it over to Jesus and be done. And I wanted it. Boy, did that surprise me, but I wanted it. So I went to my room and closed the door, gave my life to Jesus Christ. And here's the other crazy part. I literally felt the presence of God fill my room with a tangible presence. And then it moved from the outside towards the inside. And I actually felt God in my heart in a way that I didn't even really, I didn't even know I had a soul before that point. And I felt this weight fall off my back, which I now know is guilt. I didn't even know that was in my life. I didn't even know I had all this guilt. And all I can tell you is that what I experienced as faith was supernatural, not natural. It was this incredible gift of God that I could not explain other than it came through the cross of Jesus Christ. And I gave him myself over to him and it was almost like by me giving myself over to him, it was like an incredible supernatural way God, God gave himself over to me too, this beautiful friendship. Now, that's how I experienced faith. So whenever I go to churches or meet other Christians or different believers, that was my kind of internal compass. And I'd be like, yeah, tell me about that time you gave your life to Jesus, or tell me about this. And here's the thing, people who are raised in the church, they've, they actually feel it differently. What tends to happen, it's more like a slow grow. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, a, it's a different kind, but it's still the same thing. At some point, when you're talking to somebody who's a believer, and they're like teenager up, they usually, at least at some point, are going, yeah, it's like this, it's like God did something in me, it's all of God, it's all of God. But I also started to find other Christians, or at least people who call themselves Christians, very different understanding of faith. And at first it alarmed me, and now it just grieves me when I see it. Because when other believers uh, define faith, a lot of times what I saw is that it worries them all the time. When I came to faith, there was peace and being done and excitement, even in my struggles, God's with me. But I meet other Christians and they're like, faith worried them all the time. Do I have enough faith? Is this enough faith? Is that enough faith? And there was no room for Jesus, strangely enough, because they were constantly worried about their faith. Some people, their faith even tormented them. I've met people who said that they believe because they didn't have enough faith, somebody died. 
or because or something's happening and because they didn't have enough faith and it's all on them, it's all on them. I've never experienced God's faith like that in my life. God's faith in my life leads me to peace and trust and sometimes uncertainties, but it's always pervaded with the sense that he is there and he is with me and he is enough, amen? Then the strangest of all is I'll meet people who their understanding of faith is it flatters them. They'll actually walk around and be like, I've got faith, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm awesome, I'm this, you know, all this, that, and a bag of chips. And I'm like, no, you're not, Jesus is. Faith that flatters is not from the Lord. That is from the enemy, that is smugness. We shouldn't be flattered about our faith, we should be praising his name every single day for faith, amen? Because it's his work, not ours, and it's a wonderful place to live. Because again, it protects from that smugness that can settle in. So what is faith? We're going to look at a few scriptural definitions of faith we find in the Bible. The first thing, and most important, I think, is that faith is supernatural, as I mentioned. Faith is supernatural. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. That faith is not of ourselves, it is a gift of God. Oswald Chambers wrote, Belief in Jesus is a miracle produced not by impressive speech or intellectual prowess, but the sheer unaided power of God alone. You see, true faith is not natural. It is not rooted in our pride, so we go, ha, I'm a Christian because I believe these things. It is not rooted in that. That is not true faith. That is not the voice of true faith. It is also not intellect. Faith, true faith is not rooted in your intellect. We're like A plus B equals C, Jesus is risen. I'm going to heaven, the end, folks. That is not true faith. That is not real faith. That's not what we find in the Bible. Is there an intellectual component? Absolutely, but is that, was that where faith is rooted? Absolutely not. It's also not rooted in emotion. There's some people, they're like, I'm a Christian on my good days and I'm a devil on my bad days. And I don't have a problem with that. That's not true faith. Faith in Jesus is in the ups and in the downs, and there's a stability to it. And when you don't notice there's a stability to it, you feel bad about it, and then you figure out how to get more stable in your faith. Amen? True faith is the result of turning to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and then for everlasting life, including when faith began and all the way through. It doesn't start at heaven. It starts now, folks. That faith starts now. Otherwise, whatever we do have cannot be called faith. It's pride. It's self-love. The Bible even says there's a kind of faith that's demonic. In James chapter 2, verse 19, it says, You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. There's even a faith of demons the Bible talks about. This faith that we're talking about, real faith, is supernatural. It saves, and it is an answer to our cry in light of what Jesus did on the cross. It's that simple. Any other kind of faith, you will be surprised when Jesus comes, whether or not you make it in through the pearly gates. But if you have gone through the cross, and you know your faith is not your own, but a gift of God, my friend, you have nothing to worry about. Number two is faith is a foretaste of heaven. Faith is not just waiting. And just so you know, there are some Christian movies out there. This is the part that drives me nuts is they call themselves Christian, but in the movies, they're like, they're shocked when heaven is real. Like, someone passes and then comes back, and, that's, and I saw heaven. And if the believer goes, oh, you did? And I'm like, you're a believer! What are you shocked about? 
Honestly, I don't even like those movies because it doesn't depict real faith. It depicts a type of false faith, a pseudo-faith that is not the type of faith the Bible talks about, which is a certainty. Faith is a foretaste of heaven. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, faith is a substance of the things hoped for. It is a substance of things hoped for. What are we hoping for? Heaven and for Jesus. But it's saying faith is already what? On some level, a foretaste of what is to come. It is not a wish or an empty hope or a pretty good bet. It doesn't feel like that. True faith does not feel like that. It has a real weight. It's something you can know, feel confident about, and grow more and more in. Did you know they have procedures today that can help regenerate dead nerve cells? And if you have a dead nerve cell, they can do different things to try to help regenerate it. Could you imagine going from not being able to feel anything in that area to all of a sudden being able to feel something? Wouldn't that be pretty cool? Maybe some of you are like, oh, I've experienced it. This is what faith is like in the unseen realm. That when we have real faith, it's the God, the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden begins to regenerate our soul nerves to begin to already now experience what is to come forever. You hear me? Faith is already a foretaste of heaven of the good things to come. Three, faith is a certainty, as I talked about, of heavenly truths. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, again, on the second half of it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, but then it says the evidence of things not seen. That means there's an inner certainty about things not seen like God and the truths revealed in his word. By faith, because it's of God, then it must on some level come with a certainty about God. I remember a young lady who was a classic kind of illustration for me for this. When I was in Louisiana and uh, pastoring over there, I got a friend, a call from a friend who said that they had a young lady who was pretty sure they was tormented by demons and felt like they wanted me to talk to her and to maybe minister. And I was like, I've never really ministered to somebody over the phone tormented by demons, but let's give it a try. So she calls me, and right, right, right off the bat, you can tell she's very angry, uh, aggressive, and I just asked her, hey, before we get going, can you just let me pray? Just so you know, if you ever feel like the enemy is there, you know, you should start with prayer, just so you know. Can we just pray first? She's like, oh, fine. So I pray, and I say, Jesus, I pray that you just come right now. You love this person, and I just pray there be peace, and I pray that the enemy's mouth would be shut, and I pray that, that, that Lord, you reveal yourself. And, and so then we went. And the cool, the cool part is all the animosity and aggressiveness stopped. And we started a dialogue. And she goes, you know what? Honestly, what it just comes down to is how do you believe in God? What do you mean? How do you just believe in God? I mean, I just can't muster up enough of whatever just to believe in God. And I said, well, you don't need to do that. And she's like, what? And I said, God reveals himself. Would you like God to reveal himself to you? She said, well, if he's real, yeah, I guess so. And so I said, and she said, how would I do that? And I said, well, we have a word for that. It's called prayer. So let's just pray. Would you be willing to pray and ask God to reveal himself to you? And she said, sure, why not? So she did. I led her through a simple prayer of God revealing himself to her. We closed, hung up the phone. I thought that would be the last I'd ever hear her of her. It was best, you know, gave it the best shot I could. The next morning, she calls me again. She's like, Pastor Chris, this is, you know, her name. And I was like, yeah, I recognize your voice. She goes, okay, now tell me about Jesus. I'm like, what? Tell me about Jesus. I'm like, wait, you, you, you don't even believe in God? She said, I do. What do you mean you do? She said, I just woke up this morning, I believe. And, she, and then she goes, 
I don't really understand it, but it's like, well, I don't understand why I never believed in the first place. It just makes sense now. Why? Because faith is not of us, it is of... Mm. You see, even in the church too often, we start to naturalize faith. And we really subtly begin to believe it's all of me, and I gotta sustain it. When in fact, from the very beginning, it's always been of him, and he's the one sustaining us, amen? Faith is also a craving for more of heaven. You see, if you have real faith, you can't stop craving more. You just have this desire for more and more, and not in a greedy way, just in this real sense there is more. Romans chapter eight, verse 23 says, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, or another way of putting it, the down payment of the Spirit, which of course alludes to the fact there must be something huge coming if it's just the down payment. But it says, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption and the redemption of the body. You understand what that's saying? It's saying that as a believer, you actually do grieve and groan for what? Fullness. There's a part of you that's like, I'm done with this life. Jesus, just take me now. I'd like the new body, please. That sounds really good right about now. I'd like perfection. The stuff going on in my heart, you know, I would like that to be done forever too. Amen? That craving for more, this moving forward for more, is one of the greatest signs that you have genuine faith because you know, and in a real interesting way, you've already died to this world and you know this world is not your home, but there's something greater to come. It's just a matter of time. And I don't know about you, talk about getting me all excited on the inside when I keep those things in mind. Five, faith comes with a built-in desire to endure. If faith is not of you, but it is of God, then on a really cool level, it comes with batteries included from God. You hear me? So some of you in this room, you're going, I gotta keep faith, I gotta keep faith. Jesus, just help me keep faith. And Jesus is like, what are you doing? The batteries are included. You don't need to keep asking for more, hold on to faith. What you need to do is open your eyes and see I'm already holding you, I'm giving you power. All you have to do is ask for my will, what to do with it. Faith comes with a built-in desire to endure. James chapter one, verse three, couldn't get more clear. It says, faith produces endurance. Let's all say it together. Faith produces endurance. Whose faith is it? His. So he's producing their endurance in you. Who here, let's be honest, who here has gone through a season or a time in your life where you honestly, behind the scenes, you went, Jesus, I'm done. Thanks, but I'm closing up shop. I tried this thing, I'm done. And then the next morning, you woke up and it was like Jesus went, no, you're not. And then all of a sudden you felt the strength to what? Let's keep on going. Sorry, Jesus, that was a big wine fest right back there. What's happening? That is not natural. Non-believers don't experience that. Non-believers, if you don't have a seed of faith, it's the opposite. You're constantly trying to have faith in God, constantly trying to have faith in God. You keep making God, God, I'll, if, I'll keep faith in you if you give me an A. I'll keep faith in you if you give me a new car. I'll keep you faith, this and this and this. And it never lasts more than a day, maybe three days, but it's totally you. When you have real faith, it's the opposite. You feel like somebody has you keeping you going, even when you're throwing the biggest fit of your life. Can I get an amen? Real faith comes with built-in endurance, and I don't know about you, I am so thankful that that is the truth. So when I'm tired, and when I'm weary, and when I'm cranky, I know God's not gonna desert me. He's gonna remind me once again, he has me. 
Now let's talk a little bit about what faith does. We talked about what faith is. Let's talk about what faith does in our lives. Three things. First thing faith does in us is it begins, we begin to see like we haven't seen before. Faith sees. It opens our eyes to begin to see things from God's perspective and what he wants to do about it, if anything. You see, when you truly give your life to God, you begin to feel a leading to live a different way that's not of you, it's just coming to you. There's also times where you're like, I'm gonna get involved, and then, the, and then God through faith goes, mm -mm, I don't want you to get involved. That's also faith. Did you know they have a word for when astronauts go up into space and see Earth for the first time? Have you ever wondered what that looks like? getting to see Earth like from way, way up there. They actually, have a, they actually have a term for it when astronauts experience it because it changes their life. They're actually testimonies of astronauts writing about what happens when they see Earth from that high. It's so beautiful. It affects them like, like thereafter. It's called the overview effect. When they see this stunning picture of God's green Earth and the beauty and majesty of it, it just affects them. Faith is the same way for us is that when we begin to see things from God's perspective, all the poison drains out of it, all the anger drains out of it, and everything changes, and our heart almost feels renewed. You know what I'm talking about? If you've ever been in a real skiff with somebody, and you're like, I'm so angry, and you know you're about to, like, destroy. <laughs> if you have learned how to take a step back and to go, Jesus, please, for my own sake and their sake, show me what you see. Sometimes there's a real fight even to get the, the faith glasses on, but once they're on, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, I didn't have any idea. God, thank you for protecting me from what's about to do. Because once you see things the way God sees it, it changes everything, amen? With that is two, is faith prays. The first thing faith does in their life, it begins to make us see differently approach life differently, but then that leads to prayer because once faith shows us what God wants, we discover we need to learn how to pray. <laughs> real faith prays. It also shows if real faith has been lost, maybe through a sin that leads to death, like the Bible talks about, that there are certain sins that once you do them, it destroys your faith until you repent. Or it could be like the third seed Jesus talked about, where you started off great with good faith, but then the concerns of the world and making money and looking awesome in front of people started to choke out your love for Jesus and got replaced again for the love of the world. One of the great ways you know that you still have living faith, real faith, is that you have on some level either a prayer life or a deep uh, craving for a prayer life. <laughs> Because when we have real faith and we begin to see things the way God sees them, you discover very quickly, I need to pray, and I need to pray a lot. Can I get an amen? And a lot of times, it's not your circumstances, it's your stinking heart. That's the part that I have found. You know why I need to pray the most? It's not about my circumstances, my car broke down, that stuff. Of course I pray for that. I pray for it a lot, anything that happens. But I find the place I need to pray the most every single day is this thing inside of me that doesn't really like to do Jesus' will. That's what I need prayer for. And that is the thing, this thing inside of me is the thing that if I don't keep looking under the hood, who knows if I'm gonna make it to heaven because I, just, I shouldn't assume anything. But as long as I keep praying and I checking under the hood, the great technician, not just physician, technician, he makes sure that he keeps me sound and ready and primed and ready to go when that time comes. Here's an example. I didn't really start praying as a husband 
until I started to see what it means to be a husband from God's perspective. I thought I could be a husband just in my own strength. I'm a pretty nice guy, pretty patient, until you're not. You see, we're not supposed to be going in our own strength that my wife just needs to know that once I get to this point, I blow up. She just needs to know that. That is not Jesus's example. Jesus' example is when it starts going like this, you start going prayer alert, prayer alert, prayer alert. Okay, I'm spending some time with Jesus back. Okay, we're good. Save with wives for his husbands. We know that when we start seeing our marriage or our spouse or our children the way God does, not our way, his way, it will drive you to prayer because you begin to realize what it's gonna take. Think about it. Why did Jesus pray all night before he walked four miles on the water? Do you realize that's how far he walked on that sea when it says he walked on the water? It was four miles. It says right before that, he prayed all night. Why? Probably because God the Father said, Jesus, get ready to walk four miles on the water. And Jesus was like, I gotta pray all night for that one. We cannot be fully alive, active, kingdom-expanding Christians unless we have a disciplined, strong prayer life. It won't happen. Because we're gonna meet the pressures of the world, the attacks of the enemy, and the only way we're gonna have the strength to do that with a pure, undivided heart is if we've got a prayer life that can sustain such a thing. And the good news is, all we gotta learn to do is get in the habit of prayer. And once we do, we start feeling that strength, and guess who starts to open up new doors? Jesus. The last one is faith loves. Faith sees, faith prays, faith loves. The Bible says there's no such thing as real faith, uh, real faith apart from love, or at least it doesn't count. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, can't get more clear. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Let me say that again. The only, and this is God's word, this is God speaking. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Real faith loves. It looks like Jesus. I know some people think this is weak. <laughs> Love, that's so weak. I don't really know what you think the opposite of that is strength then, because that's terrifying. But some people will think, I don't need to do love. I believe in Jesus. That's the only thing the Bible tells me to do is I just need to believe in Jesus. You're not reading enough of your Bible because it does not say that. The Bible says believing in Jesus only counts if it's expressed through what? Everybody say it together. Love, expressed through love. There's an old church saying, which I love, that goes, there is no hope in God if there is no love of God. There is no hope in God if there is no love of God. God's word says over and over that he's going to judge us according to our deeds, deeds of love. Not our opinions or our perspectives, but love. Romans chapter two, verse seven through eight. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and fury. So if somebody says, I believe in Jesus, then I will say as your pastor, the greatest sign I'm gonna look for is love. And if you don't have it, then the next thing I'm gonna look for is how do you feel about the lack of love in your life? Because if you go, I feel really sorry and I almost feel a craving to pray, I'm like, you got it. It might be weak, but it's there. Let's work on that prayer life. Let's grow that. Because then God's going to start opening your eyes. And guess what he's going to show you? Different ways to love. And it's all supernatural. So if you're in this room going, Chris, you're hitting it hard. I'm not hitting you hard. I'm hitting your ego hard. 
because your ego wants to do it in its own strength and it doesn't like this kind of a message. But if you could set your ego aside and you actually tune into Jesus in your heart, you're like, Jesus, what do you think about this? He's gonna be like, I'm gonna give you the power to do anything if you'll do it for love. So what I say is let's always be found building up and not tearing down, amen? In our culture right now, we're hearing all over the news, the news of people tearing down this and tearing down that. No, if you want to show me your strength, show me what you're going to build up. Praying, begin praying and seeing things from God's perspective and doing his will, especially when it comes to forgiving. When we are living, we are right now living in an unprecedented time of signs and wonders. If you ever study church history, the last hundred years, there have been more signs and wonders, believers anointed in the spirit and going out and doing incredible works for Jesus Christ in the history of the church. But do you still want to know what the greatest miracle in the world, the world is apart from the resurrection being born again? It's the power to forgive. It is easier to see someone raised from the dead than this own struggle in your own heart if you've had to find the supernatural strength in Christ to forgive somebody. You know what I'm talking about? Forgiving requires faith. And this is a huge testimony, not just to us, but also to the person. Because one of the greatest signs that I told you that my next door neighbors did is they kept forgiving me over and over and over again. I kept screwing up or being ridiculous and they just still kept finding the strength to forgive me and then love on me. That's what brought me to Jesus. And that's what brings most people to be Jesus, honestly, is they wanna see that love, that love that shows I can forgive. I have the power to forgive. People are no longer you know, controlling my heart or controlling my emotions, but somehow I'm living by a new heart and a new person, a new principle within me, and his name is Jesus. No wonder Jesus talked about forgiveness about as much as he talked about heaven. I think he was saying they were connected. More than healing, more than casting out demons or raising the dead, Jesus said, forgive as I have forgiven who? You. Forgiveness is, I think, the greatest sign of our love for Jesus Christ. And quite frankly, no one is worth going to hell over anyways because we chose not to forgive. Amen? I hit a point where I was tired of people controlling my hearts and getting to me. And it wasn't, I stopped focusing on them and I was like, is this really, is this person really going, worth going to hell for? Nope, <laughs> nobody's worth going to hell for. So I had to learn to start abiding in the Lord in a way that I could forgive. Does that mean it doesn't hurt? Oh no, I'll tell you what, just this last year, somebody deeply betrayed me, deeply betrayed me. And it wasn't just me, other people were even saying, Pastor Chris, I'm gonna pray for you, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And I could feel the storm, you know that storm? When somebody has really hurt you, it could be a child, it could be a parent, it could be a friend, whatever, that storm starts, right? It is like impossible to stop until you listen to the Holy Spirit saying, get on your knees and pray. And then when we start to give it to him, it's truly like he just begins to take it. And that's what I found, that as I, it took about three days, and it was consistently, every time I felt it overwhelming me, I'd go to prayer, go to prayer. But by about the third day, kid you not, the storm had passed. And I felt genuine love and peace for that person. I may not agree with everything, but I truly have goodwill towards them. And that is a supernatural work of the heart. Real faith loves. So where should you use your faith? Some suggestions. First, turn your faith towards your own heart and peace. If you have real faith, one of the gifts that God wants to give you with that faith is peace. 
Wherever you lack peace right now, turn your face towards that and start taking whatever that is into prayer to Jesus and let him supernaturally begin to pull it up and raise it up, okay? It's okay, baby, I love you. The next place I would say is turn it towards your own life and discipline. Start with your heart, but then look at your life. Is a lot of the reason your life the way it is because you're not disciplined. So now I say go there. Is look at your life and go, is it my money? Is it my emotions? Is it my this? Is it my that? Don't just leave letting it hit you in the face. Take a step back in prayer and problem solve. What seems to be re-triggering this? I'm gonna start getting disciplined in my life. Then turn it towards your family and love. Love usually in family means quality time. Some of you, you work crazy hours to provide for your family. I commend you. I believe God is gonna bless that. But when you are home, make sure that you're giving the time, some of the time you have just quality time with your family, whatever it might be. You can even say, hey, I feel like I've only got 10 minutes tonight, but I want to spend this 10 minutes with you. I love you. That goes so far in investing in our families. Turn it towards your church and serve. When you've got true faith, you're gonna feel this craving to wanna to expand God's kingdom, which, you, which means getting plugged into your church and serving in your church, discovering what your gifts are, and then plugging in, and then, and then uh, uh, letting that bless your church. And then lastly, we can turn it towards our nation and pray, amen? Let's pray for our leaders. It's super easy to ridicule our leaders and make fun of them because we're not in their place. It is incredibly difficult to be in a position of leadership, even just as a pastor, an underling pastor. <laughs> Can't even master what it's like for Pastor David. You don't know how many times I will hear people tell me my weaknesses straight up. Well, Pastor Chris this, Pastor Chris that. And I'm like, thanks for telling me what I already knew. You know what I really need is not your sagacious critiques. What I need is some prayer. If you really wanna see me grow in my love for Jesus and my ability as a pastor, guess what I need? Prayer. And a lot of you, you're awesome at that. You'll come to me and Pastor Chris, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for you, praying for you. And I'm like, more, just keep, keep it coming, more. In the same way, we should always be praying for our nation, including the leaders. No matter how much you disagree with the leader, faith loves. And so we pray because who knows what God could do in that leader's life. And so we should always be praying for our leaders. And I think that's one of the best ways we could be praying for our nation too, amen? Worship team, would you mind coming up? So we've talked about what faith is, supernatural, of God, not of us. We've talked about what it does, it helps us to see, it drives us to pray, and it manifests in love. So how do we get it? Because <laughs> there's some, some people here, they're like, now that you've covered what faith really is, I am not sure if I have any, and this is a little bit scary. So how do you get it? That's why it's called good news. We already said, it is not of yourself, it's of who? The Lord. So you can't earn it, what you gotta do? Ask for it. So if you're here tonight and you're like, I want real faith. I want this foretaste of heaven, this certainty that comes with it and grows. I am tired of this world beating me up. I'm ready for a better thing. And I'm tired of having a purposeless life. I'd like an assignment while I'm here. Ask Jesus Christ for the gift of faith tonight through what he, what he did on the cross for your sins. The only thing that separates you from the love of God right now is sin. And Jesus died on the cross to atone, cover, cleanse, make it completely as if it didn't happen, your sin. And it's a free gift. 
And so if you wanna know how to receive faith, give your life to Jesus tonight, what he did on the cross, and then let the powerful, supernatural Almighty do the rest in your heart. He says, I'll give you a new one. I'll take your heart, your, your heart of stone, and I'm gonna give it flesh. But even when you pray, Jesus, take my heart of stone, what's your heart gonna feel like? It feels like a stone. But Jesus, I'm gonna give you a mustard seed faith, and I believe you can change my heart. You can change my whole life, and you can finally bring me into who I really am in you. If you believe that, then he will do the rest. So for some of you, you need to go through the cross tonight in the blood of Jesus to wash away your sins. Some of you, all you need tonight because you already have real faith. And when I'm talking about it and like what it feels like and what it means, and you're already on this side, it's like, you know, John the Baptist and the Spirit like hopping up in your heart and everything. It feels like that. It's like, yeah, this is so exciting. Tonight, I mean, I say tonight a lot because the young adults is not at night, just so you know. I'm not used to the morning. Ask for more faith. Never ever be tired of asking God for fresh faith to do his work to expand his kingdom. There's always another person. There's always another attitude that needs to be worked on in the heart. Keep asking for more faith and say, say, make that part of your prayer life each day is Lord, whatever you're praying, somewhere in there be like, Lord, and I pray for fresh or more faith today to do your will, to see as you see. And he, I believe he will answer that because he loves those kind of prayers for faith. I'm gonna open this up in prayer. I'm just gonna ask the Holy Spirit to just move, to open our eyes, to see our hearts, and just anywhere that he wants us to maybe correct, to let go, to lay down, to forgive. Just gonna let him have his way with you guys. Have a Jesus moment, and then I'll close in prayer. Father God, we just invite this opportunity as we go back into worship to search our hearts, to know us, and to lead us in the way of everlasting life. If there's anybody in this room that as of lately has noticed they've been falling into being smug, I pray they would just, they would let it go. They'd be done with that. They want fresh fire this morning. If anybody's fallen into sin, Lord, I pray they give it over to you this morning and be clean when they leave. And for those who just wanna give fresh power for the, for the battle, I pray you give that. Lord, have your way. Father God, I just pray a blessing over everybody here in Jesus' name. I pray over families. I pray over marriages. I pray over the parent-child relationships. I pray against the enemy and every attack that he might be, might be uh, waging right now. In the name of Jesus, I renounce it and I command it to go. And I pray and said, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would freshly fill and you would keep our hearts attuned to Jesus. But Father, you will be done in and through us this week. Thank you for genuine faith. Thank you for supernatural faith that is not of us, but is of you and through your son, Jesus. We love you, Lord. You're so good to us. Keep us strong for you this week. In your name we pray. Amen.